If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a rush of pure power. And here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to how do we make leveling up feel like more than just a stat increase? And how do you plan for a great level up moment regardless of the pacing of your game? And how can you apply this quickly, easily, and still get tons of character out of each level up? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So obviously we're talking about leveling up characters. And really what we want to try to achieve with this is that incredible, amazing moment. The one that's just steeped in drama and holy shit moments because realistically we have these characters that are doing some wild shit. Oh yeah, at every turn. They're defying the laws of the universe. Even the universe they're in. And what we want to try to achieve is this dramatic moment, like that moment where the party tank has been decimated and they lay at the feet of a massive beast and the tank groans, a pleading hand outstretched, and they have mere seconds to live as blood drains from the gaping wound in their ribs. The paladin needs to lay their hands upon the wound, but they're clinging on to life themselves. They are drained of their magical ability, barely able to stand. Then the haunted warlock prepares for the end, but is ripped out of their body across the universe to come face to faces with their incomprehensible patron, the 500, a conclave of cosmic entities, all speaking at once. Their choir speaks, send it to me. And the warlock rips back into their body, holding on to some of that alien energy to weave between their hands so they can pull the beast clawing and kicking away from this reality. The party is in shock. They were never made aware of the raw, horrifying power that they had been adventuring alongside. This may change the comfort others have sharing meals with such a terrifying force. Now that is some kind of level up. That's a story I'm in. And that's that's cool. That's the shit that we want when we level up because yeah, we got access to banishment. Yeah, the warlock got access to banishment. And if we don't do this right, it looks very different. It looks basically like, um, okay, flip, flip. I cast banishment. Oh my God, woohoo, that was a thrill ride. Oh, uh, did you get a new spell, Warlock? Cool. Neat. Anyways, (laughs) my turn. (laughs) My turn. It's time for me to do something. And if nobody talks about it or acknowledges the spell, this sucks. What's the point of getting all these cool new spells if there's no real pizzazz on there? There's no real gravita to this momentous occasion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we like playing that storytelling way. And if it's just numbers, it just doesn't do the trick. So we set out to fix this ourselves and homebrew a new leveling system that we talked about in our previous episode that would meet in the middle somewhere between milestone leveling and XP leveling. And regardless if you use XP or milestone or any kind of weird system that you or we create, there's still all of that story and roleplay missing from creating a really satisfying attainment of these new abilities and powers and to make them feel good and to make them feel a part of your character's progression in this world. And a lot of this sits with the player. The DM can weave a lot of this world, but they need the players to be equally invested and to, to be creating the world that their character is in. Absolutely. And I feel like this is one place where the players storytelling, like often players just kind of roll up to the table and they'll be like, hey, DM, tell me a story and I'll react to it. But this is one of those places where players can really start to engage. Like this is where your 
storytelling ability comes from as a player. This is your opportunity to really weave some cool shit. And other people at your table might not be doing it. But guess what? If you start dabbling your toes in these waters, <laughs> just <laughs> flicking around with your big, big stubby digit in those waters, then the rest of your party will get the idea that water's fine. Love it. Well, let's hop over to the strategy stateroom where we can break down some of this stuff. This is the strategy stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So the idea here is to make the mechanics of leveling up a part of the story being told. Yeah, I've honestly had a problem with this numerous times, never really been able to put my finger on it. And finally, I think you and I just had enough. No more mechanics over story. Is that what we're talking about? Well, yeah, it's just this whole like, okay, so we're done the session. Sweet. Hey, that was really fun. Everyone had a great time. Cool. Okay, by the way, uh, players, you're all going to level up. Go ahead and start thinking about the new skills that you're going to choose and yada, yada, yada. And then the next session, everyone shows up and they're just kind of like, cool. What'd you do? What I, oh, I chose this. Very neat. Okay. And the story continues. But in there is some pretty incredible story that we're just skipping over. There's character growth. There's change. And if you don't spend some time on it, it feels kind of hollow. And I've always kind of had a problem with it. Like I just, something rubs me the wrong way about <laughs> just showing up and being like, I'm better. I'm not too personally bothered by it, but I agree that there's all of this potential that is really just fodder for your role playing. Like sometimes you're sitting there wondering what you should be thinking about as a character. Well, be thinking about this. Be thinking about how you're going to improve. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you're kind of just sifting through a big pile of rocks and totally just tossing these gems away with them. If you're not really paying attention to this, then you're not really paying attention to these awesome opportunities to make your character something else and to make their journey mean a lot more. And I think like any good story, the payoff is only the payoff because it's been built up. Like you have to build your character journey in order to pay off at the end and be like, look at all of the change and growth and hardships and pain and struggles that my character has gone through that makes their journey actually mean something. Yeah. That's why my novella about all payoffs isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, a novel of payoffs. A That's series it. of big wins. <laughs> random characters. <laughs> That's terrible. That will never sell. Thank you. So how do we see the character getting better? Well, we do have some ideas around this. But like we do, we want to structure it into some steps. So we've got three steps. The before, which is laying the groundwork. The during, which is determining your speed at which the level up is taking place. And the after, which is acknowledging that it happened. So to break this down a little bit more, let's start with part one, the before or laying the groundwork. So what about your character is going to improve? This is going to deeply affect how you consider what details you're going to pepper in and what it might look like. We're talking about the mechanics that are in the book for your character. You can start doing this by assessing your character's new abilities and just looking ahead the next level or two. So what is coming down the pipes for your character and how do you start laying the groundwork for those abilities to come full circle and to finally manifest? And an easy way that we find to categorize these in our brains is with the headers physical, mental, and spiritual. And that's kind of just based on the source of your character's power. We were originally thinking it would be kind of a class-based consideration, but really all of the abilities from each class kind of fall into one of those three. And the classes don't fall hard into one of these categories. Like a rogue might think about laying some physical groundwork and some mental groundwork for some of their trap making skills. And a barbarian might dabble in the spiritual side of things. And pretty much any time the party kind of comes to a rest, whether it's looking at the inscriptions on the inside of a wall of a temple, or you're just hanging around the campfire on a journey, this is an opportunity to start laying some groundwork. Whether your party is in the temple 
or next to the campground, the DM's next move is to ask, okay, what do you guys want to do? <laughs> that's the opportunity. That's the cue. You start laying some groundwork. Yeah, totally. And there's more to this than just saying, you know, my character is doing this. You can think about how they're failing as they're attempting these new things. Yeah. What are the challenges that they're facing? And what does it look like when they actually finally get a victory out of it? And little victories that lead towards the big victory of getting a new ability that's coming down the pipes. Exactly. So let's talk about those three different big headings. So you've got physical, mental, and spiritual growth. And we're going to follow this with some actual examples. But physical is anything related to your melee or range combat increases to your strength, dexterity, or constitution, any wild abilities that kind of fall into that arrangement. Yeah. Mental being the obvious improvement to your intelligence, wisdom, or charisma, and any kind of abilities that fall into, yeah, just your mental capacity to handle things. <laughs> and the learning that you do along the way. Yeah. Then spiritual. It can really be any ability, if this is the flavor that your character is going for, but it's mostly characters that stick to the themes that are common in clerics, paladins, monks, sometimes warlocks and sorcerers. Like you're communing with some greater power, getting your your juice not from yourself, <laughs> as Jesus. I like to put it. You're finding <laughs> a deeper depth to the well of energy and strength and things like that. Things that can't really be quantified into a mental or physical capacity. So let's talk about all that with your character, Travis. Zerus. I am not comfortable being in the spotlight, but all right, let's, uh, let's talk about my character. <laughs> so Zerus is a fighter. I wanted to explore what a fighter would be like if he were a pacifist Goliath in a very dangerous fantasy world who was kind of tired of all the fighting, but had to kind of rise up to the occasion, kind of that uh, reluctant hero vibe. Yeah, there's always plenty of fodder there. With this character, I really wanted to try to explore a deeply flawed character. I wanted to focus more on the person. And so I built just a very run-of-the-mill fighter. He's He's got one point in Barbarian and five in Fighter. He's got a couple of level ups coming up. So I got to start planning. So in his next level up, I've got an ability score increase. I think I'm going to put one point into Wisdom and one into Charisma. And that's really going to come down with a Persuasion bonus. And then with the next level up, what I really end up getting as a samurai is a bonus to my persuasion. And then you also get the extra attack, right? Well, I just got the extra attack. And okay. that's something that I kind of wish I'd done a little bit better. I wish I'd led up to this a little better. But there's no time to start like now. So coming up in this game with Darius, he's going to have some downtime. So he's going to be able to start laying this groundwork for his next level. So let's explore what that could look like. Does he train himself every day as part of a, a physical routine? Well, what I like about this character is he doesn't want to continue to pursue the martial arts. He doesn't want to hurt people anymore. <laughs> but being that he's fighting for his life right now in Skullport, he's needing to try to defend himself and his friends. So yes, in a way... He is kind of on high alert and he's trying to think of like, oh shit, what happens if this and what happens if this and what do I plan for these kind of contingencies? And I'm sure a lot of that would have to fall under trying to keep his physical fitness in top form. So what does that look like for him on a daily basis? Well, there are other party members that consider themselves quite dexterous and we've played a lot of really great role-playing of the dexterous characters against his big brutish Goliath form. So I could see absolutely daily training happening with one of the other party members' luck. Yeah, they've kind of got that contrast going, so they could be improving each of their physical skills against each other. And I think this is also just his... You know, he's quietly kind of ashamed of having to continue to hurt things, so... This might be a any spare moment 
he's honing his weapons and he's practicing his forms. He's very regimented. He was brought up in a very controlled environment. And so he was dedicated to training every day and he would slip back into this almost regretfully. Yeah. Just as the only thing he knows kind of thing. Yeah. With those thoughts of pacifism distracting him, maybe causing him to slip up or something like that as he goes through this process. Yeah, that's really good. So what defines a failed attempt for him in his physical training? Well, I think with the extra attack, what I would have preferred to do is to have him attempt to get faster. And this is really where luck comes in. If I were to go back and do it again, I would probably engage luck in some role play around him dodging my attacks because it's assumed as a Goliath and a big brutish hammer user, he's going to be slow. You know, you just swing that hammer nice and slow and having luck dodge his attacks and him constantly trying to hit him maybe with a, uh, like a practice weapon. Yeah. With luck constantly challenging him, Zerus's goal is to try to hit him and he's getting faster as he does that which explains the ability to attack twice in a single turn and if i consider where zerus is going in the long run as a 20th level fighter you get four attacks in a single <laughs> round that takes some serious training that is lightning speed with a hammer that is not built for speed yeah like, that's going to be a ton of training. A big heavy weapon, it's even more impressive with, for sure. It's like... It adds that extra oomph to it, yeah. <laughs> Another angle could be like in his downtime coming up, when he's going to be in a city with tons of doors open to him, he could seek outside help for his training. Not just the physical, but the, the kind of charismatic as well. Absolutely, and this is exactly where I think I need to go with the character because we do have some downtime right now, but as I'm starting to see the eventuality that he's going to improve in both his wisdom and his charisma, and considering that he's a big, mean fighter that really doesn't have a ton of social skills, being a new import to a city, he might want to brush up on those. Like, that might be a, a real challenge for him, getting around in this new place and everyone finding him kind of, like, off-putting. And him recognizing that this is where he kind of sucks <laughs> and maybe seeking out the help of somebody to help with his charisma. You could even like start by showing that he's a failure at it. Is he going around trying to, you know, barter or buy stuff and ending up coming back with a higher price than he was supposed to pay for something simple? Or he's getting kicked out of establishments just because <laughs> he doesn't know how to behave. Yeah. And also over the next couple of sessions, I can start to show some growth in these areas. First, some real struggles. Like I have to look for opportunities to really highlight the Zerus sucks at talking. <laughs> he sucks at persuading. Yeah. But then over time, continually show maybe some little bit of getting better or maybe, hey, what are you guys doing during this short rest? Well, he's over getting some training from some society coach. Yeah. Some kind of fantasy equivalent of a Toastmasters club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Learning to tell stories better. <laughs> I mean, depending on how kind of goofy you would want to get with his character, you could even pull out like notes of his learning in social situations. <laughs> <laughs> yes, checking them off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, start with a handshake. Hello, good to meet you. <laughs> Weather. Step two. Small talk. <laughs> yeah. Talk about weather. It's a sunny day today. <laughs> and something I think is really, really important to think about with all of this is how can your character get help from your party members? Because that's who you're going to be trying to role play and interact with the most. They're always around. Yeah. The opportunities to go into town and to, you know, seek outside help is great to make some cool NPC connections. It gives your DM a lot of opportunities to introduce new characters that are maybe important to you. But uh, like, to your point, your party members are always around. And sometimes you won't be able to find those common connections or return to them because adventurers are always on the move. They're living <laughs> a life on the road. Yeah. As much as you guys want to just settle down and run that tavern, as the DM, I'm forcing you to adventure. <laughs> Yeah. So maybe going back to Luck, that dexterous bard, I mean, 
you could be asking him for social help. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe you even set up some kind of like a, a prompt system where if you're bombing, he'll give you a, a gesture, <laughs> a hand signal. You can just bow out of the conversation and let him take over. I really like that. <laughs> or every time Luck does have uh, a really cool social interaction, Zerus can just lean over and go, you're going to have to show me how to do that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> even writing down what he does in certain situations and then trying to imitate him later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah write down verbatim, just yeah. one line, and <laughs> make sure that it's something that the other party member can remember. It works over here when he does it, but it doesn't when you do it. <laughs> yeah, there's an innate trying to treat it like some kind of research project, like why does it work for luck but not for me? <laughs> it's the same words. Yeah. Let me adjust this. <laughs> We've also got a artificer in this game named Millie that, you know, if you're talking about the physical, she's super mechanical. So is there some way that maybe she can augment your speed or your strength with some kind of mechanical upgrade? Well, if I ever land a hit on luck, then maybe she can make some kind of mechanical training system that would allow Xerus to really test his skills and not to hurt anybody at the same time. Okay, okay. And if you do have an opportunity as the player to kind of narrate your own downtime or, you know, what you're doing, then you can think about it in terms of smaller adventures or goals that aren't really going to have any impact on the larger story. Or, you know, you're not trying to give yourself an advantage or something extra for your downtime. You're just trying to develop the character a bit. So... You can narrate the quick beats of a shorter, less drastic adventure where they're using whatever skill they're training in. See, in this particular area, I'm one step ahead of you because that's actually what I did at the very end of our last game where a throwaway NPC said, oh, hey, you just closed that horrible portal that they keep abducting people into. Uh, that's one thing off my list that I don't have to worry about anymore. And knowing that we have some downtime, I asked what's on the rest of the list? And on that list was the local bandits and his mother-in-law and a few other one-off quests that would allow me to say like, oh yes, Zerus takes this very seriously. <laughs> He's going to start to solve problems in Waterdeep. He helps the simple townsfolk <laughs> solve all of their personal problems. And that's how his skills are going to get better. Yeah. So Zerus there was focusing more on the physical and mental side of this trio. Didn't really dive into spiritual. Well... There's very similar steps to spiritual. Where is your character finding a deeper well of energy? Are they praying lots? Do they make some kind of connection to their local church? Are they doing odd jobs for them? We even have a warlock in my game that is working on capturing more souls as a part of a multi-level marketing company. And... Honestly, it's such a great passive exercise that this shithead warlock keeps signing people's souls away and getting his downlines going. And all of that is buying him a deeper well of power. This is what was promised to him if he were a top performer in this multi-level marketing <laughs> scheme. And that's a such a simple system for, you know, he's going to get his level up when he gets this many souls. Yeah, it's honestly, it's so good, but there's so many different ways to start to contextualize your spiritual growth or your monk's ability to stay calm or sit on mountains or, you know, whatever your character is. Uh, yeah, consider how are they constantly trying to improve some of their skills, especially the ones that are coming up next. And that's all well and good when you have plenty of downtime. Right. But when you don't have plenty of downtime. Which is common <laughs> in the adventurer's life. And that leads us to part two, during. Determine your speed. So when a level up comes at you, you're going to have to be able to be flexible with what you have, what you're presented with. Now, often when you're using milestone leveling at your game, if your DM prefers that or your party prefers milestone leveling, it usually coincides with some downtime. Hey, you all are back in the town, safe and sound. You land at the tavern. What do you all want to do? You have some downtime. That's great. That's called slow speed. And really, that kind of 
blends right in with what we were just talking about with the laying the groundwork for your next level up. It's got the physical part where you can spend time training at a gym, brawling and fights, working in the fields. You've got the mental where your wizard can spend time at the library or with tutors. Honestly, going back to the same tutor idea, I really like that idea. I think Zerus is going to spend some time being a tourist in his own town in the city of splendors of Waterdeep. And after looking like a bit of a foreign tourist, he's going to find... flip-flops and high socks? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, would totally... Oh, yeah, he's got to have a map that he <laughs> unfolds. And he's going to sightsee around and look at the walking statues. After putting off a bunch of the locals, he's going to seek a high society tutor. I'm really digging this idea. And now you have a new NPC to make as a part of my contacts named uh, Madame Colette. How about that? Sure. It's going to teach him proper skills in society. So you also have spiritual. You can go for fasting or prayer or joining an order for their spiritual flavor. If you want to uh, shift your attentions away from maybe what their current focus is, to this new order that they heard about in this new town. And they're going to teach your cleric some new abilities that they didn't have before. Or maybe they can even be questioning other party members or NPCs about their beliefs or faith in order to get a better understanding of their own. Totally. So this is all kind of ideal circumstances. Where we get into the trickier bits is then when you identify a medium speed. Now, what we mean by medium is... Hey, we're in the middle of a dungeon. We're going to take a short or long rest in the midst of an adventure. That gets a little bit trickier to explain away the abundance of time improving their skills amongst the locals of a town. Your resources are a lot less when you're barricaded inside a room as you're attacking the orc encampment. <laughs> or, you know, you're deep in some forbidden forest or often the jungles or deserts thousand miles below the surface in the underdark yeah all not great places to you know spend some time on personal improvement so with this you're still looking at that physical mental and spiritual so with physical what makes me think of kind of a medium pace with physical is like training with luck that's something that can be done there there's maybe a tapestry on the wall in this room that depicts a fighter holding their weapon in a different position, one that Zerus had never considered. Wait a minute. Let me let me try this. <laughs> oh, wow. Luck, get over here. I can swing faster. And now all of a sudden I have my extra attack. Yeah. And I would totally like to play that out real quick as a super short scene of, you know, Luck thinks he's got a read on Zerus, but all of a sudden Zerus whips out some extra oomph. Yeah, the long-lost forgotten fighters of this tomb taught me something. Yeah. And if my character is a wizard and they're locked inside a room and they're about to gain some new spells and a little bit more intelligence, well, then if there's anything in this room, even a little bedside table, once they're able to crack open that old drawer that's kind of rotted shut, they find a dusty old tome. And that tome actually matches the book that they have in their home library. But this one has the two missing chapters. Nice. Extra bits of juicy knowledge. And honestly, I find spiritual kind of the easiest and the hardest because it's the easiest in the sense that you can just go with whatever flavor your character's got, sit down, uh, cast some kind of a ritual. But the hard part is actually detailing that out and i think it's really satisfying when you do yeah when you actually have some kind of a mantra or spiritual epiphany that goes with this ritual it can add a lot of flavor to those rests absolutely well then finally we get to the fast and this is where it gets really tricky what we mean by fast is the hey we're in the midst of a big ass boss fight it is midnight. We are not going to continue. The DM calls it, but then throws the curveball in there. Hey, everyone, level up. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> How do you explain this one away? 
this can happen a lot more with that XP style of leveling because you you'd level when you level. Yeah. You just killed a monster, you're level. You can kill a rat and all of a sudden you cross <laughs> that threshold. Probably not, but you can technically. <laughs> Rats worth what, like three XP? Yeah, well, sure. But if you were just on the cusp and yeah. lots of folks play this way, yeah. they play with the very strict XP leveling. That's why I carry a bag of rats around with me. <laughs> just start twisting little <laughs> noggins. Dark. Yeah. I prefer to throw them down a pit so I don't have to see the outcome. <laughs> They're both horrible. <laughs> Anyways, you have a moment of personal hype. This is the best way to tackle fast XP and level gains in the midst of combat. So when the chips are down, what do you do to unlock new abilities? Well, I think from that physical perspective, it's kind of just a, a finding the emotion that's going to drive you to unleash the things that you've kind of been learning. So like you're remembering what you're doing this for. What is the reason that this fight is important to you? Why do you have to overcome this obstacle? And you can definitely express some of that to your party or, you know, to their face as you're demolishing them. In the event of the physical transformation or the extra attack, if I wasn't ready for this, if I wasn't leading up, you know, Zerus takes a moment and drops his hammer and he's exhausted and he's tired and he can barely stand. And then he thinks of Waterdeep and the city that he wants to explore. And he thinks of peace and blue skies as he's trapped in the Underdark. And now he's just swinging for the fences. Against this person that is trying to rob those things from him. Yeah. So all of that kind of stuff of just being able to role play out that moment of anguish and loss and pain. And then for Zerus to grit his teeth and get a little bit angrier. And now he's just going faster. Yeah. With a, a mental thing. We're talking about a wizard again. It is an instant unlocking of that ability, but you can still kind of reference back to, I've been reading this thing again and again, night after night, and leading up to this new spell, my character starts to recite this incantation, kind of like on repeat. It just You hear this like, and then it finally works. Absolutely. And this goes all the way back to the start of this segment, which is the buildup. If that wizard had been trying all of those times at every single opportunity during downtime or a moment, you were describing the wizard trying to cast this and the sparks. Ha oh, I just got a couple of sparks. I cannot get this incantation right. Yeah. Then when the fast just happens to you and you were not expecting this level up now, but now you have all of these new powers unlocked, you're going to use them in the next part of this big combat. Now everyone can be excited for you when you get this spell off, finally. And you know, we're not always thinking about these things, so you can still do this fast level up and do those lead-up moments retroactively to pretty great effect. Like, you can sit there right before you cast your fireball and say, every night you've seen my wizard sitting there holding his hand out, like, repeating this mantra to make the fire go, and he's just been crushed every time. He's been trying and trying and trying. And now you see the light on his face as well as his hand as it blows up. Yeah. Somewhere in there unlocked the ability to cast this spell. The final remaining missing piece of understanding that was required to conjure to control the weave and cast this incredibly powerful new spell. Speaking of that, I do really like the concept of that aha moment for the mental side of things. Like if it is a fireball, the wizard sees their ally go down and the torch that they're holding falls against the ground and the fire goes out. And that just gives that final piece of the puzzle they've been struggling with. That stroke of inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. And with the spiritual side of things, everything's on the line. You just mechanically leveled up and it's time to put those powers in action. Maybe your character gets into their pose of prayer, which, yes, exposes themselves to all kinds of dangers. But that's them putting complete faith in that higher power to come through right now in this moment of need. 
I like that because it's actually your character giving up and it shows that whatever higher power they're communing with, the character themselves thought all was lost and is just, this is a Hail Mary of holy shit, please help me. And yeah, if your pose of prayer is leaving you incredibly vulnerable, that is faith right there. Yeah, and that's when something crazy like a a cleric's spiritual weapon appears in the air in front of them or, you know, spirit guardians, which gives them a whole bunch of, of spirits of whatever flavor they are fighting for them, surrounding them. Yeah, yeah, I like that spiritual guardians, the flavor of that in that moment of need. Like, that is one hell of a spell. <laughs> yeah. And that leads us to part three, which is acknowledgement. This is really really important absolutely so much in my games in every sense we don't do the end whether it be the end of a story or the end of a level up or just the end we just call it a day. <laughs> and it feels kind of lackluster and this is one of those empathetic things that players can do for other players we're all there to have fun we're all there to support each other we're all there to tell a really incredible story the end to these first two steps is acknowledging when another player has gone through a level up, when they put some effort into one of these descriptions. So this is really about just calling out to your other party members and supporting them with a bit of a wow factor when they do reveal new abilities. As a player trying to support another player, it's difficult to know when a new ability has shown up for a player when they don't put a bit of extra stink on that description. Yeah, and some of the ways you can do that, I really like to think about how the character I'm playing feels about each other character and their powers. And if it's, you know, if it is a really great thing that my ally is doing good, or, you know, maybe it's a situation where my cleric is questioning why my god is not stopping this warlock from their dark demonic powers flourishing. Alternatively, it could be the warlock who feels the time and effort that the wizard puts into all of their abilities is a little bit silly. Or just super supportive, the barbarian who is more and more impressed at how much damage these weaklings, who they originally considered weaklings around them, are all of a sudden putting out, even though they're not swinging cold hard steel. I See, I love that because it just means that there is character growth baked right in there you've got a big brutish barbarian who is coming around to the fact that you don't need to hit hard to hit hard. <laughs> Picking up the halfling wizard face to face and just saying, that was awesome. <laughs> I underestimated you, you tiny little pipsqueak. <laughs> Giving them a big headbutt in celebration. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is really important for all players to comment, just say it, because I'll do this so often, and maybe you do too, Jord, but I'll think, ooh, that was really cool, and I just thought of a neat thing that Zerus could say in reaction to this cool new ability of this other party member. Uh, when am I going to... Oh, I'll mention it on the downtime. Nope. Nope. It'll never come around. You'll never remember <laughs> to say it. So just take the moment, in the moment, to... Have your character react to everything else the other players do because they should be just as shocked as the other stuff that the DM is throwing at them, at the wild monsters and the incredible villains and all of the lavish, crazy things that are happening in this world. Chances are your character is just as shocked by what the people next to them are able to do. Yeah, and honestly, I think this is one of the things that has the potential to turn a game from nobody knowing how to roleplay to being super immersive, is just starting to care about the other characters rather than your own. 100%. So when you're leveling up, think about the narrative journey that your characters are on. Take a look at your abilities that are coming up next, your next one to three level up improvements. What is inside there? And what can your players start to work on? So that's step one. 
before lay the groundwork. Step two, during the level up, you're gonna determine the speed and you're gonna adjust your plans based on how quickly you're gonna have to level up. And then three, after, which is simply acknowledging that this crazy shit is happening. And with that, we're gonna talk about some more of our characters and how we can keep applying this in Timora's Tavern. Welcome to Timora's Tavern, where absurd games of fortune and skill are played for the amusement of all. So we figured as a quick example, and because Jordan and I both have characters that we need to start planning on that next level up for them, you've got a level up coming with the Junker. That's right. Yes, that is my character's name, the Junker. He started as a joke character. <laughs> and he turned out to be pretty good. <laughs> He's become very endearing. Yeah. He's a dwarven paladin that hasn't lived up to his family's legacy. He thinks he's no good. But guess what? His family doesn't. His paladin powers come from his dwarven ancestors. So for your next level up, and before that comes at you, we're going to have to lay some groundwork. So... What new skills and abilities are coming up next for you? Well, on the physical side, the Junker's getting an extra attack. And on the spiritual side, he's gaining access to some second level spells. One of the ones that I'm most excited about because we've been in a prison environment and all he's got for a weapon right now is a <laughs> rusty long piece of metal that was part of a bar. As a spear, he's going to be able to cast magic weapon which is going to turn that spear into something grand well that's pretty cool i mean it's kind of like a sleeper at this point like nobody's going to be expecting that your rusty iron <laughs> sharpened bar is a magical weapon but i think maybe i will flavor it a little bit like mechanically it makes it a magic weapon with a plus one bonus but you know maybe those ancestors are going to kind of replace it with a spear that was used by my family long ago. Not actually, just flavor. Okay. Well, how are you going to lay that groundwork? He spends a lot of his time just kind of being a lazy shit. <laughs> so I think maybe he's going to uh, personally experience some moments where his ancestors are trying to come talk to him. And maybe they show up as kind of like force ghosts. To him. Oh, I like that. That's interesting. Shaking him out of his stupor and being like, you're wasting your time, but pick it up, get it together. Well, you're literally going to rot in prison if you cannot <laughs> escape, if you can't find the, the strength and the fortitude to get out of here. Yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, you're, you're laying the groundwork there. I guess if this were to happen very quickly and you needed the environment to somehow spur this on, like you're in a prison... Well, maybe he, you know, during a period of time where they're having a long rest or they're waiting for something in this prison, as, you know, sometimes they are, the Junker keeps trying to avoid these spiritual guardians that are trying to direct his life, but he gets himself locked in a cell. <laughs> he can't escape them anymore. Yeah. yeah. So he's forced to kind of reconcile a bit with himself and accept their guidance. Well, we've also established that in this prison, being that it's hard to smuggle in things like magical components, weapons, and other things like that, there's also a pretty hefty drug trade. So there's they're growing all kinds of different things like magical components and drugs. I wonder if the Junker has a bit of a weird trip. Oh, hell yeah. And is unable to escape his ancestors in his own brain. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> he gets himself in it. And how would you expect that, say, some of the other players could potentially support this? Because this gets really tricky if you're going the route of, you know, your ancestors, your magical imaginary ancestors being talking to you. Yeah. If none of the other players can see it, how does this manifest in a way, especially if you're, you know, just one day, now you've got this incredibly beautiful magic iron bar? Yeah, well, I mean, it only becomes magical when the spell is cast. 
So most of the time, it still is that rusty iron long shank. So what's the extra pizzazz that you throw on it when you go to use this and cast this spell? And what would you expect that the players would react with? Who do you think is going to react? Well, that same warlock that has the um, multi-level marketing scheme, <laughs> he could certainly appreciate my communion with a higher power as well. I wonder if he would be open to seeing that. Like, he would likely assume that his multi-level approach to power is superior. He is on the fast track to being of the higher levels within this scheme. And I'd be curious if maybe he was a little bit jealous going like, oh, I didn't realize there were other paths because he's very clearly taking a horrible route by <laughs> selling people's souls. Yeah. And maybe, just maybe, your family caring about you and caring about your potential would allow you to rise to a higher occasion. Those two ideals and approaches might conflict. Yeah, there could be some really good rivalry going on there. All right, and you've got Ged, your goblin circle of spores druid. Yeah, I went with Ged because we talked about Zerus a lot in this episode, so I figured I'd switch it up. Now that I'm pretty confident on what I'm going to do, for Zerus's next level up, Ged being my other character, I want to want to put a little time in there. So, uh, yeah, Ged is a goblin circle of spores druid who is really, I, I've mentioned him a couple of times before on the show, he does really gross things, and I've tried to add some disgusting flavor to every spell that he could possibly cast from, you know, mixing healing herbs in his mouth and, like, chewing up various things that he picks off of his back that he has, like, <laughs> some weird funguses and some odd mixtures, and I always want to throw that in there. So he's one of those disgusting goblin druids. Wonderful. Those are fun. Honestly, I'm just realizing, does it say something about us? Because the Junker is also pretty disgusting. Yeah. In all of his flavor. <laughs> in the way that I play him. He's... Hey, you write what you know. <laughs> yeah, we're nasty. All right, so what is Ged going to get on his next level? On his next level, he gets access to fungal infestation, which is really cool. I think that he's already well on his way here, but this is definitely one step above what he's been able to do because this unlocks the ability, as a Circle of Spores Druid, to animate a zombie, basically, that lives for an hour. So if anything dies within 10 feet of you, you can reanimate it for an hour, and it has all of the stat blocks of a zombie. What a delight. Yeah. Now... Obviously, there's some really cool flavor there for the spell itself. You know, it's spores that are animating a corpse. That is gross. <laughs> <laughs> That's some nasty shit right there. Yeah. And to start laying some of the groundwork for this character growth, I think, you know, very similar to what we've already kind of been discussing, is he needs to struggle and to try and to fail. Like, this already has to be something that he wants to do. So over the next couple of sessions, what I plan to do, I plan to start having him build upon his already attained ability to grow spores wherever he wants. But now he's going to try to make them move. And he's going to fail a couple of times. But he's going to, you know, specifically, I'm just going to pause for a moment after some battle at some point and say to the rest of the party, look at this. I can make this thing move. And I'll make a little mushroom cap dance. And then I'll try it again. The next time we have a downtime, I'm going to animate a little rat. I'll choose to have it climb one of the other players and I'll <laughs> use it to kind of gross somebody out. Yeah. So that finally, when the chips are really down and it's time to go hard and it's time to be a hero... Ged will be able to actually animate a full person. And that's going to feel like way bigger a deal because so far all he's tried is rats and mice and half the time he's failed. Yeah. And that gives so much to react to as the other party members because they've been underestimating this, you know, nasty little goblin the whole time. He's disgusting. Yeah. He's absolutely revolting. And I would not be surprised if most of the party members really wanted him gone. <laughs> 
<laughs> but they can't deny his raw power. Yeah. <laughs> so this is just one of those things that I would hope that maybe some of the other players reacting would just go, oh, shit. Yeah, maybe we had this wrong. Yeah. This little asshole, this disgusting, foul-mouthed little beastie, actually has the potential to be a real heavy hitter. We just can't let him around civilized folks. Yeah. <laughs> we have to keep hiding him whenever we go into <laughs> restaurants. Well, and what I like about that, too, is that even if you were to throw a level up mid-combat at me, I would be able to just summon this new ability. Yeah. Like, that works for slow, medium, or fast. And again, you can retroactively do it if you didn't get a chance to. Yeah. It's just as easy as that. Well, this whole system, yeah, it's pretty easy to just think of it quickly. Have a conversation with your party members or yourself about how you're going to pull this off. When it comes time, if you're anything like me and I can't think of the cool shit to say on the spot, if you're a player and you know that a spell is coming up, try, regardless of whether or not... If you're a player and you have a new spell, or you just have a spell that you haven't used yet, you're about to use it for the first time, a really fun activity, just sit down with a stack of cue cards or recipe cards and just write down what your spell looks like. The first time you cast it, you're just going to read that cue card out and give the rest of the players at the table something to react to. And if you're one of those other players at the table, then definitely react to it. Make a big deal out of it because it's the first time that you've seen this person cast this incredible spell. Magic. Support the other players at the table. Yeah. We're talking about magic, about insane abilities, overwhelming power. Totally. Well, we hope you enjoyed that episode. We hope you got something out of it. The next time you cast a spell, if you have a great description, send it to us. We would love to hear how any of this plays out in your game if you feel like your new level up landed with a little bit more oomph, with a little bit more gravita. Because you laid some groundwork and you made it really a part of your character. Then we want to hear about it. Please message us. You can send us an email on our website. You can find us at all of the usual places. But thank you to some of our patrons that help make this show possible and help us level up. Thank you very much to IC Spiders, where there are none. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Nevermore. Thomas W. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldrust. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thank you all very much for your continued contributions. Thank you as well to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that delight your ears in this episode. You can send us how your spells and your new level ups got on at your table at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join a wonderful community of players and DMs that talk about their games and give cool ideas on our Discord. Yeah, don't send us messages. Just come chat at us. Or chat with the other brilliant minds that reside there. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and be amazed at my power. React. Oh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>